Hey, uh, I hear the Snickers. Uh, oh, Eminem, sorry. My boys gave me this tie. I think Kelly and I were trying to remember. It's probably been at least 15 years ago uh, that I've had this tie. So my boys are old enough, and, you know, they don't think twice about the tie anymore. I've worn it a, a handful of times over the years, um, not for a long time. And my daughter, who's here uh, in the room today because she's now in fifth grade, um, turned 11 yesterday. And in the midst of that, she asked me, as she has repeatedly um, the last few years, Dad, will you wear the tie? And I have found excuses and reasons not to uh, along the way, but yesterday I said yes, so therefore the tie, all right, for her 11th, 11th birthday uh, yesterday, if I didn't mention it. So uh, anyway, so that's, that's the reason for it. So hopefully you can look past this a little bit because uh, we, we actually have a really uh, kind of deep and serious topic to talk about today. Um, so anyway. Um, Hey, we got two weeks more in Proverbs, one this week and next week. Uh, We've been doing this study throughout the summer, uh, a bit more of a topical study, looking at uh, very common themes in the book of Proverbs, uh, trying to center ourselves upon God's wisdom in mind and heart. And uh, so we've got two more topics. We're going to talk about alcohol today. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about parenting. Um, And then uh, we will begin after that a study of the book of 1 Timothy and we're going to walk through that kind of uh, verse by verse uh, for the fall, uh, heading up to Thanksgiving. So that's a bit of where we are going. But today I want to jump right in because this is a big topic. And um, I, as I went through it, there were certain pieces I just didn't feel like I could leave any of this out. So uh, hang with me today. The version notes are available for you. So if you are not used to using those or you got the app, you can check those out. Instructions, I think, are in the seat pocket there in front of you if you want to uh, get that. All right? Uh, But alcohol is a topic uh, that carries a lot of emotion for various reasons, Um, fully aware of that. Some of you grew up with the effects of uh, alcohol in in the home, uh, perhaps an alcoholic parent, and uh, you have some some very striking memories of all of that as a child. Others have friends and uh, loved ones who perhaps even have uh, lost life. Uh, because of the influence of alcohol. I would be one of those going back to my high school years, my junior year of high school, one of my best friends in school, uh, both of his parents uh, killed by a drunk driver, right? So, uh, I mean, this carries a lot of emotion because some experiences in life uh, have drastically changed life uh, because of this influence. Uh, maybe there's there's good memories you have, um, and alcohol was kind of part of that. I mean, there's just so many angles to this, um, and uh, here is what I know. Uh, you have your perspective, and you have your reasons, right? You have your perspective, and you have your reasons, and uh, and so today, I just, I just want to invite you to sit with me for a little bit, and let's be sure that our opinion or our conviction is grounded in God's word. Okay, just as Michael Joy read for us a moment ago, you know, not to be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's that renewing? By, by letting the word of God be what, what forms and shapes our thinking, uh, not our experiences. We don't want to bring our experiences to the word of God and make it say what we want it to say or only listen to the parts that we want to listen to, that we like. 
because it you know goes along. We want we want to to take out of the Word of God. That's what it means to to be exegetical in our study. To take out of the Word of God, and let the Word of God form and shape us. Okay, uh, so that's that's the goal today. We want to be honest with the Scriptures, even when they challenge our current experience and belief. Um, and so here's how we're going to approach that. Two mindsets we want to avoid today. First of all, being uh, a legalistic mindset. Okay, these two mindsets are kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum. We tend to think about topics like this uh, in, in a bit more of a legalistic mindset. And, and the way I frame legalism is, in a sense, avoidance without thoughtful and biblical consideration. That we just don't. Why? Because. Right? Um, because it's just the, it's just what I you know was told, or you know it's just kind of this perception within the church that this is bad, so uh, we don't. Um, and, and by the way, to say no to something isn't legalism itself. Okay, let's be clear on that. Okay, legalism is is avoidance without thoughtful and biblical consideration. Okay, uh, the other end of the spectrum we want to avoid is kind of what I would call this reckless justification. Um, if legalism is avoidance without thoughtful and biblical consideration, this reckless justification would be participation without thoughtful and biblical consideration. It's just kind of this attitude of, I can, so I will, or I want to, and I will, right? That, that's kind of this reckless, kind of self-oriented mindset about it all that just says, yep, uh, I can, so I, I'm going to. Um, just because you could doesn't mean you should sometimes, right? So we just want to be careful, too. We don't just approach these things with this reckless um, justification of our action. Uh, so the Bible clearly refutes both of those mindsets. Um, so the mindset we want to seek today is wisdom and discernment. Wisdom and discernment, meaning that we pursue with understanding a sound biblical framework for right belief leading to right behavior and right relationship among us as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's the pursuit, wisdom and discernment. Now, I will be honest with you, both legalism and reckless justification are easier, right? They're clearly easier. You just, just give me a list. Right, whether it's a do or a don't, just just give me a list. That's that's easier. Uh, the reckless justification is easier because it's just well, if I if I have this desire and I want to, then I will. Right, we don't have to do any of the hard work of trying to explain why or come to any kind of under understanding as to to the why. So so both of those are easier. The way of wisdom and discernment, which we are called to as followers of Jesus, is clearly the more difficult path. Okay. So the goal today is to, to give you some kind of framework, and I realize, parents, maybe something of what I'm going to say today uh, is different than what you have taught your kids in your house and, uh, and, and so on, and so I hope this stirs good conversation for us today. If you have any concern or issue with something I say today, please reach out to me, okay? My door is always open to have honest conversation about what we see in the scriptures. And if you differ on something that I teach, I, I want to be available to have that conversation with you. Okay? We have that agreement together? Okay? Uh, so don't walk out of here angry and mad and, and just go pout and whatever. Um, have conversation. Let's talk through this. Because this is a really important topic and probably bigger than what uh, many of us actually are willing to see or, or maybe... Uh, don't see. So six pieces of this framework. 
First of all, the cultural historical context, we're not going to talk a lot about this, um, but yet we need to make sure it's part of our framework. Kind of a then versus now. Questions that uh, around alcohol in the church tend to uh, you know, have a couple of questions like, um, was their alcohol the same as the alcohol we have today? Was it as fermented then as it is today? And wasn't that grape juice you know, versus the alcoholic content we have today? And, and what I just want to speak to real quickly about that is, is that biblical context, right? The New Testament, the first century, as well as before in the Old Testament, we realize, um, you know, that, that was a, a more primitive day in some um, ways. They were extremely uh, ingenious in some of the things that they developed in their day, right? I mean, there's no question about that. But we realized, too, like, they didn't have the same kind of water uh, filtration and even, quite honestly, septic filtration like we have today. And so water was more often contaminated with bacteria and other kind of contaminants that, that even though they had it to drink, it oftentimes caused more issues. So uh, in reality, wine... Uh, that it was the fruit of, of, of the vine, right, of, of grapes. That, that became a, 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 a cleaner and even at times safer uh, manner of drink for them and even carried with it some of the medicinal purposes um, for their day because they didn't have much of the, 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 the medical prescriptions and all of that that we have today, right? So, so we realized just in that first century it was different. However, I think it is clear, simply because we have the issue of drunkenness, which we'll get into in a little bit, clearly uh, prominent in the scriptures, that this was a fermented drink, right? This wasn't just grape juice, uh, because grape juice doesn't lead to to drunkenness in the way that we see, you know, portrayed here in the scripture. So I I think uh, we just realized, okay, we have to be honest with the context, it it is, and, and I know there's different words, and you got new wine and, and all of that. And again, if that's part of the conversation you would like to have, we can have that. I just simply don't feel led to get into the details of, of all of that today, other than just to say, like, I don't know that there's a whole lot. I can't, in my own uh, consideration of, of all of this, I can't in my mind determine that there's a whole lot of difference um, between what they had available then and what we have available now. Now, the variety of of alcohol, uh, perhaps, but as far as the fermentation and the ability of getting drunk and the effectiveness of that, um, every bit as much uh, true then as it is today. As a matter of fact, if anything, we realize in their day, prior to you know uh, any specific forms of, of refrigeration, of which the, the chill uh, slows down or stalls the fermenting process in wine, so if, without that, if anything, their, their fermentation happened quicker uh, and perhaps was even stronger uh, than what ours is today. Um, so some of those pieces important. Um, yes, uh, you know, some of the, the grain alcohols or cereal alcohols of, of beer and all that, those existed as well in the day. The Bible most often uses the word uh, wine, describes wine, that which of, of, of fruit, right, not the distilling process from grains and all that. So uh, uh, get all of that, but let's, let's take kind of alcohol in general, that which we consume in a way that, uh, that uh, uh, affects us uh, in significant ways or can. Um, so I'll use the, word, the, the term alcohol most often uh, moving forward uh, for this context, right? So number one is that the piece of the framework is that cultural context just kind of uh, if you if you agree with me in this, where I've landed on it is there's not a whole lot of difference between then and now. Uh, so the second piece of the framework is that the Bible, or in, in saying the Bible, when I'm referencing God Himself, right? Because this is God's word, 
The Bible speaks positively about alcohol. Now, this might be the piece that surprises most of you, but let me kind of share with you uh, my thoughts on this. First of all, from the book of Proverbs, which is kind of our launching pad for this, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, wine is seen as a sign of blessing. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's seen as a sign of, of God's blessing. Proverbs chapter 9, the first six verses, this is where wisdom is kind of personified. Uh, in a sense, uh, you know, wisdom speaking to us, lady wisdom, as is referenced sometimes. But listen to how the scene is set to have conversation about wisdom. It's, it's a sign, it's a, it's a scene of hospitality, of a meal. It says in verse 1, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. She says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So in this kind of hospitable setting uh, of conversation about wisdom, God-centered wisdom, included in that is, is the drink of wine. Proverbs 31, verse 6, there's a medicinal aspect to it, which is spoken of positively. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. So in their day, without some of the uh, things like morphine and all of that that we have available today, the aspect of wine uh, became medicinal in some ways. Uh, Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15, in a a context of a psalm of praise and rejoicing, it says this, you cause the grass to grow, this is speaking of God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Wine brought into the context of, of rejoicing and praise. Furthermore, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, also seen as a sign of blessing. He, meaning God, uh, will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock and the land that he swore to your fathers to give to you. A sign of blessing. Uh, Later in Deuteronomy chapter 14, when speaking of uh, God in the future, establishing Jerusalem as the center of worship, right, with his temple and all of that. Deuteronomy 14 says this, You shall tithe all the year of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your flock, herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Okay, so you make it to Jerusalem, here's what you do, right? And wine's included in that. Verse 24 is interesting. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, again, that's Jerusalem, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire oxen or sheep or wine 
or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat therefore uh, there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your own towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. So this aspect of worship or of coming before God, including wine and even strong drink as an option of what to choose uh, in doing so. Now, speaking of the Levites, they're at the very end. Um, do not neglect the Levite who lives in your towns. Remember, the Levites were those God chose to be priests among the people of God. And uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, as part of the giving that the people were to have toward the Levites, because they did not have their own inheritance like everybody else, they didn't have their own land to farm, the people were to give of, of their first fruits uh, to the Levites as part of their substance, and so, uh, sustenance. And so uh, wine was part of that, that they were to give to the Levites. Uh, Numbers chapter 15, the first five verses and talking about the animal sacrifice of bulls and lambs and goats and all of that, included with that was to be this drink offering that, quote, the scripture says, was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So spoken of even in the sacrificial system, offerings to God, wine was included. Of course, John chapter 2, uh, the opening verses of which probably has been part of your thought in this context, Jesus turning the water into wine, right? Um, the first miracle that he committed was that fermented drink. I, personally, it seems reasonable to think yes, right? The, the wedding guests didn't think twice about it. When, as a matter of fact, it was seen as the best of what was offered. Um, and so... Uh, Seems to me, so did, did Jesus drink wine? That's one of the questions that comes up in this. Seems reasonable to me that he did. Um, even in the Last Supper, right, with the, with the bread and the cup that we remember every month at communion. Was that fermented wine? Was that grape juice? Uh, whenever wine is mentioned in the scriptures, it seems to be, it, it, the word used for wine is never used when the scripture is referring to juice. So it seems that, yes, um, it was. And even if Jesus didn't drink wine, uh, the wedding at Cana uh, would help us understand, too, at least what he did is he created the context for others to do so uh, in that. Um, just trying to be honest with that. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, uh, Paul told Timothy to not only drink water, but to drink wine to help his stomach. And I know not all those verses are up there for you. They're in the version notes for you to reference. Um, so here, again, speaking for that medicinal purpose, Timothy was having issues Paul tells him to drink some wine, not just water. So the Bible does contain kind of this positive view in some ways of alcohol. In other words, alcohol is not universally negative. God does not prohibit the drinking of alcohol. But before we just want to stop there, right? That's not the entire framework from which to build our belief in action. Um, so we have to be mindful of this. The second or the third piece of the framework is that the Bible speaks cautiously about alcohol. So not only positively, but cautiously. There are times to resist. There are some instances that aren't normative, but let me just mention them. First of all, for example, the priests, those who uh, carried out all of the action before the Lord in the, in the tent of meeting, in the presence of God before the Ark of the Covenant, they were not to drink wine. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9. They were not to drink wine before they entered the tent of meeting in service to the Lord. Uh, Numbers chapter 6, the Nazarite 
vow, of which Samson perhaps is the most familiar we have of uh, any man or woman who took that vow uh, in Scripture. There were others as well, but part of that was denying themselves wine and strong drink. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, uh, when Israel was taken captive in Babylon, um, they denied the wine that Nebuchadnezzar offered, as well as the food, right? They, they went with their own diet in that instance, and God blessed that. Uh, so there are those uh, cases. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 4 and 5, tells us this in this instance. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Why? Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. So caution in that as well. Be- why? Because of the effect of those things and what it can uh, do and their leaders forgetting something that they had determined. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, the caution is this. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Um, if you grew up in a context like I did where this was a no, uh, then Proverbs 20, verse 1 is probably a verse that you've heard a time or two. right? Um, and uh, with good reason. There's caution here. Uh, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. Right? God's wisdom says be careful. So we are reminded in that as well, I think, that what God created and intends for good, uh, we often take and twist into something evil, right? In our sinfulness, we take it and, and, and use it for our sinful pleasure rather than the good that God created it for. And so caution is stated. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Woe to those who are heroes of drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink. Right? The woe is not a good thing. Um, woe to those right? who, who have this kind of, who, who let it dominate life. You rise up and that's what you chase after that's what you think about or you you just you know you're waiting for that next time that you can kind of mindset um woe to those who are heroes of drinking wine and valiant men and mixing may that not be your reputation right of being able to hold your liquor um kind of thing um caution caution Um, so the caution is about abusing what god created good we need to think wisely with discernment We need to practice self-control, as is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the caution of Scripture is about drunkenness, not drinking, it seems, right? The positive nature of it seems to uh, uh, arrive at a conclusion like it it is possible that something God created, but yet, as always, there's a caution with how we can take it to excess. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34, when Jesus himself is teaching about the coming of the Son of Man, his own return. He says to those listening, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Now, dissipation is a word that references more of the action of drunkenness. right? And some of you, the reason why this topic is difficult today is because you, you maybe have some regrets in life. Um, because of drunkenness, right? This dissipation, that's the action of drunkenness, and drunkenness, meaning more of the state of drunkenness. So Jesus says, watch yourselves. Let your hearts be weighed down with these things and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly with like a trap. Uh, 
caution. Caution in relationships and even friendships of who we spend time with. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 20 and 21. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Um, Caution. Uh, Drunkenness is right here listed alongside other sins like gluttony, right? Sins that are a lack of self-control with our bodies and what we consume to the point of being unproductive. Uh, Caution, even of being with them. Be not among drunkards. Specifically among brothers and sisters in Christ. And I use this next text with some caution. Let me give you backdrop for it because it is a strong text um, that needs a bit of explanation. So when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, the letter we call 1 Corinthians, uh, he's writing to address sexual immorality in the church. Um, uh, It's described specifically in here that a man had his father's wife. Uh, So not his mother, perhaps, but like a stepmom. There's relation that's there, and that was celebrated in the church instead of, and it became an issue of pride rather than being dealt with as sin. And Paul is addressing them, saying, listen, this this isn't right. Um, But listen to how drunkenness gets brought into this. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So he's saying, I'm not talking about those out here. In verse 11, he says, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. He's talking about within the church. For guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, a drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what do I have to do do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Right? That's a hard text. And as, as a church body, we acknowledge really what Paul is driving at here is the caution is we are not to let sin become acceptable uh, among the church. Um, that we just, oh, you know, no big deal. And along with sexual immorality, drunkenness is one of those things. So after certainly uh, loving And as the word instructs us, gentle instruction, uh, full of grace and truth, right, Um, to address sin among us, uh, as we've talked about before, that's certainly uh, a content. We don't just come here and and check off a box to say we went to church today. This this is the body of Christ, And, and, and our mission is to walk faithfully and obediently to uh, the scriptures and to, to following Jesus. And so uh, to Paul's point here, we don't want to let things like drunkenness become acceptable among the church. Um, but to deal with them gently, lovingly, graciously, patiently. Um, but encourage one another to follow in obedience. So caution. The Bible does have clear warnings against drunkenness and addiction. So that fourth piece of the framework, uh, not only does the Bible speak positively, it speaks cautiously, and it speaks prohibitively about drunkenness. Um, We acknowledge that. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through, probably the most descriptive place we have in the Bible of the effects of drunkenness, how to understand it, 
um, says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it is sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast, right? This, this back and forth in life. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. So one of the most descriptive, perhaps, passages of Scripture, speaking of the effectiveness of of drunkenness, the effect of it, um, and uh, the clear desire for more. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. So um, be mindful of that. The Old Testament has multiple examples of drunkenness and the ungodly uh, humiliating outcomes of that. Noah and Lot are, are two examples, Genesis 9, Genesis 19, that you can look up if you would like to read those. But there's, there's other examples as well. And I love the fact that Scripture is honest about these things. God didn't try to hide these instances of His people. Um, the uh, part of the caution as well as prohibition too in Ephesians 5, 18 uh, it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Here we have a clear command to not be drunk with wine. First Timothy 3, verses 3 and 8, as far as the leaders of the church, uh, we are called to, the overseers, the elders of the church, are not to be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Verse 8 then talks about deacons. Likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. Doesn't say doesn't you know elders are not to drink wine. Says not to be addicted to much wine, um, and so on. And then in Titus chapter two, when um, Paul is referencing uh, the mentoring context of older women, younger women, says older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Uh, so. The prohibitive um, teaching of Scripture in regards to drunkenness. We could go to other places, uh, and again, these are in your U version notes. Um, they won't be on the screen, but Romans 13, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5. You can go there on your own time. Drunkenness is, is mentioned alongside other sinful attitudes and practices or, or works of darkness um, that are not to be present in the life of believers because of our life in Christ. Uh, instead, the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be uh, what is present in us. So, so as we put those things together, right, those particular pieces of our framework, if you will, just like any building you know, construct, you have to have the framing before you add any of the, the exterior stuff, the things we see, right? There's framing behind their, these walls. And so within our life, we have to, we have to build a, a biblical framework of how we think about these things. And and one of the questions I have is two questions I want to address with you just at this point is, is first of all, why not drunkenness? Why, why is the Bible prohibited? If, if, if we get a sense that the Scripture allows the drinking of alcohol, why the prohibition of drunkenness? Well, because drunkenness is 
a voluntarily giving up control of yourself to something other than Christ. Uh, it's that losing control aspect that is certainly evident in drunkenness. It's the lack of self-control. And the result of it consists in all kinds of things that do not honor God. And uh, so that addiction can consume a person and become a life-dominating habit. So that's, I think, the reason why God speaks against drunkenness in the Word. But here's maybe even a bit uh, deeper question. If you agree with me in my conclusion of Scripture that the drinking of alcohol is not prohibited, drunkenness is prohibited, then we have to ask the question, how do we define drunk? Right? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If it's not the, the drink, right, from first sip uh, to drunk, where's, where is that, where do we cross that line? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. When does crossing the line become drunkenness? And honestly, in my study of the scriptures, we don't have a, a specific verse that clearly defines drunkenness. We don't have to, a verse that says, yep, after the first glass, you know, or the second or the third. Um, we don't have a certain measure of blood alcohol content listed in the scripture, right? Uh, 0.08 defined by legal standards. You get caught with that alcohol content driving. You're arrested for drunk driving. Um, you know, is it is it 0.3, in which you're in threat of, of alcohol poisoning? Um, you know, what, 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 where's the line? What measure do we use? Um, do we carry around a breathalyzer, you know, to kind of measure ourselves? That, some do that, I believe, right? Uh, what do we, how do we measure that? What, what, how do we define drunk? And throw in the fact that there's, uh, okay, I'm no expert on all of this, but, you know, there's difference of body mass and all that kind of stuff as to, how much you can consume and how it affects you. and So there's no like black and white kind of measure here, it seems. How do you find drunkenness? Well, perhaps the way to look at it biblically is to consider the examples we have. Um, uh, so in studying the scriptures um, and seeing the examples by studying what other kinds of sinful behaviors drunkenness is listed among, by noting the descriptions given in Scripture, perhaps we can come up with some kind of definition. For example, Job chapter 12, verse 25, drunkenness is uh, related to the staggering that can happen as effect. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 7, uh, speaks of drunkenness. Someone is reeling, staggering. Uh, they're swallowed or confused by wine. Their vision being impaired. Uh, they stumble giving judgment. In Jeremiah 25 and 48, vomiting is associated with drunkenness. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 49, the physical abuse that can result because of the out-of-control nature of drunkenness. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, it's interesting. 
when the Holy Spirit comes and descends on the disciples and they began to speak in tongues in the, uh, which earthly known languages that they hadn't studied, the people that were present in Jerusalem for the festival at that point began to hear the gospel in their own language, which they knew the, the, the people had not uh, learned. And so it sounded like babbling, you know, and like, how are they doing this? And some began to mock them, saying that they were drunk. And when Peter stands up to give his message, he clarifies, he says, they are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. And Peter's like, it's 9 a.m., folks, right? They, they are not drunk, okay? Um, and, and, and so, but the, the association of, of how uh, they were talking, the languages, right? Uh, the, the people associate that uh, with drunkenness. Um, so as we look at those things, as we think back to Proverbs 23 with the descriptions it gave, the kings and rulers were not to drink so they don't forget their decree, right? We, we pull all that together and, and maybe here's, I mean, this is, this is what I have for you um, about drunkenness. Here's how we could maybe define it in some way is that drunkenness is the excessive drinking of alcohol leading to diminished mental or physical abilities and eventual complete loss of control. Biblically, that's, that's what I have for you. I can't point you to a verse that gives any kind of clear line of dis- distinction and, and this loss of ability and control. And so, f- um, you know, that, that, that loss of ability, loss of control can look many different ways. It can be loud and boisterous. It can be quiet. Uh, it can be aggressive. It can be withdrawn. Right? Drunkenness doesn't manifest itself the same way among every person. So being mindful of that, the, the, the perspective that um, we carry with this is that to acknowledge that there's a lot of a lot of gray area between sip number one and what I just tried to give you as a biblical definition of drunkenness. There's a lot of gray area there. And so maybe one of the things that would be helpful is not only you trying to manage yourself as to when you begin to be affected by a certain uh, level of alcohol, but ask somebody that's with you. Like, hey, you're with me at times when I, when I drink. When do you see me become affected? Um, that might be helpful. Uh, if you're serious about gaining some kind of understanding in your own life as to when that line is crossed. Um, um, and, and to that point, um, where's crossing the line? We not only, we ask that question about many things, I think, in life um, in regards to sin and, you know, what God says. Um, and, and if I'm true of it in the temptation of my own heart, I think probably true for most all of us is that we often ask this question wanting to get as close to the line as we can without crossing it, right? How, how, how close can I get to sin without sinning? That, that's often the motive if we're honest with it. Um, you may, some of you have been here this long, um, some of you have been here for 30 years, but um, uh, 2014, we did a series uh, that was entitled Guardrails, and uh, it is still the most um, referenced sermon series that uh, I've done here uh, nine years ago. And um, 
and in that, we use the analogy, and this was taught to me, so it wasn't anything original with me, but, but the fact of guardrails, this analogy of barriers designed, right? We all know what guardrails are on the highway. They're designed to keep us from trouble, from straying into dangerous areas, um, and, and they're set in safe areas uh, so that you don't go into the dangerous area. And, and so thinking about those guardrails and just thinking about how instead of how close we get uh, to the line, it, you know, is that the right question? Uh, how close can I get? Um, let me challenge you just for a moment with that. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we looked at verse 18, but let's look at it in a little bit broader context. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That's what this series is about, godly wisdom in life. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's, the, here's what I want to draw out. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? This, this understanding of, of man, I, 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 my actions impact you and, and listening and, and so on, caring for you. So maybe instead of how close can I get to the line, maybe... Maybe a different angle to the same question that, that perhaps helps us guard our heart from, from selfishness and, and, and pushes us toward following Christ is, how far in the safe zone should I be? Right? Instead of how close can I get, the, the question maybe from just a different angle is, how far in the safe zone should I be? What, what kind of guardrails should I set in my life that keep me from getting to that point of regret and that point of crossing the line of sinfulness. How, how far, where should my safe guards be? Um, out of reverence for Christ. Um, because we know we live in a world that like wants to bait us to the edge, right? Uh, whether it's sexual morality or whatever it is, you know, we live in a world that wants to bait us to the edge and then chastise us when we cross the line. Um, and so guard your heart um, and, and ask the question maybe, where's, where's my safe zone? How far here do I need to keep it uh, to prevent that? Um, a question often asked in our home over the years has been, you know, do you control it or does it control you? Uh, you know, that, that's, that's a worthwhile question in this whole conversation too. I love the heart of Paul in Romans 13, verse 14. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ... And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So, again, in this whole topic, in the breadth of what we're building as a biblical framework, what's the desire of your, is, it, is the desire of your heart to get as close as you can to the line so you can enjoy as much as possible and, and kind of push the limit? Or in pursuing after Christ, is it, you know, like... Well, I want to set my guardrails in a safe place and make no provisions for the flesh. Two more pieces just to mention real quickly, and you got it, this is your homework, right, to investigate these yourself because we don't have time. But the fifth piece of the framework is realizing the Bible calls us to careful consideration of how our actions influence others. Uh, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, you can 
read those in your own time. But basically realizing, boy, context matters. The people you're with matters in decisions like this and issues like this. Um, learn to, to read the room well, so to speak, right? Where are you at and what's the context? And, and um, th- the bottom line is that no decision, about, no decision about your life and how you live the Christian life is solely about you. Right? Every decision you make as a Christ follower impacts those around you. That's got to be part of your framework for how you answer this question. Um, the sixth piece of it is the Bible calls us to careful consideration of what we do with our bodies. We said last summer, Jesus never said, your body is your own, do with it as you please, right? And um, we're, we're called in the scripture over and over to think about what we do with our bodies. Um, and this uh, is true in this case as well. So those six pieces, I think, are a worthwhile framework to think about in how you answer the question in your life about alcohol. Um, my life personally, just in case you're wondering, which might be, uh, I don't drink alcohol. Uh, I never have. I've never had one drink of alcohol in my life. And as I was a kid, my, my parents came to Christ later in life. Uh, but before I came around, they had already decided uh, to give up uh, drinking, and uh, so alcohol was never in my home, never saw my parents, it just wasn't part of my context. Uh, church context was was very much, uh, you're a Christian, you don't drink, um, and uh, having a desire to go into ministry, even going back to high school days, um, I knew I was going to be in a ministry context, and um, just never have, and uh, don't plan to. Kelly and I share that conviction together, just personally, that's where we're at with it, um, and um, so, and I've sat, you know, at this point in ministry, I've sat across the table from too many people who've uh, communicated the negative effects of alcohol to even um, want to go there in my own life and be tempted myself or um, to potentially influence others. So that, that's just where I'm at with it. Um, and uh, uh, just wanted to share that with you um, for what it's worth. But you've got you've to make that decision in your life. Um, of how you're going to handle this this uh, topic, um, and whether you drink or not, right? Whether you choose to drink or not, uh, make sure your decision is biblically informed. It's prayerfully considered, and it's humbly carried out. Right? That it's biblically informed, that it's prayerfully considered, and it's humbly carried out. Um, if you have those three things as part of your decision-making process, I think you'll honor Christ in what you decide and how you handle it in whatever context you're in. Um, so what do we do with framework? Um, we'll finish with this. Carefully consider the consumption of alcohol in your life, as I was just saying. How do you answer the question, why or why not? Why do I? Why don't I? Why might I hear in this situation and not hear in this situation? Um, we have to be careful, right? Do, do I engage? Do I, do I drink for enjoyment or do I drink for escape? If you drink for escape, if that's what you determine is your motive, um, you know, it helps me deal with the things of life, right? I just would ask you, like, are you, are you depending on alcohol or are you depending on Christ? Um, you, just, you just have to ask that question. Um, is it a need? I have to have it, 
or is it something else? So you got to consider the, the why or why not question. Um, lovingly consider the impact of your decision on others and yourself. Uh, your testimony included, you know, your family, coworkers, so on. Number three, never consume to the point of drunkenness. Never. I, it, wherever you're at in this whole thing, um, drunkenness is to have absolutely no place in the life of a Christ follower. That's clear. Um, and then number four, if this is a problem for you, we want to lovingly and graciously, without shame, come alongside and help so you can live to the glory of Christ. Um, you know, it, as the body of Christ, friend, these are the kind of things we have to be able to come alongside each other. And if this is a struggle for you, and maybe it's something that's hidden, kind of hidden thing in your life, and, and you want some help, and you would love to pursue, you know, honoring Christ, like, we want to be here for you, and, and not to shame you. Um, and I think fear and shame, as I talked about this with the pastors on Tuesday this week, that was kind of like the two things that kept coming up as reasons why people may not pursue help with this. And can we be a body of Christ, brothers and sisters who care for each other well and help each other with these hard things of life? Can we do that? Um, and not um, um, shame each other. Um, so anyway, if, if this is where you're at, this is an issue for you. We want to help you. And uh, just somehow express that, your connection card, or somehow uh, let us know, all right? And uh, we'll do what we can to come alongside you. Good? Lots of stuff today. Let me pray for you. Michael Joy is going to come and lead us uh, in a song. Father, we love you. We thank you for your kindness. Uh, Lord, there's a lot here, and um, I knew it would be. Help us to do well. Lord, your Holy Spirit is our true teacher. And... Um, your Holy Spirit is the one who convicts in life and uh, guides and brings comfort. So, Lord, um, may each of us individually um, think well of this topic in our life. Um, help us to think about all of these facets. Um, may we be a body, Lord, who lovingly comes alongside each other. And for those perhaps who um, are caught in a addictive cycle of this, um, Lord, may we come alongside, and um, may we together as brothers and sisters pursue honoring you in life, uh, in all things, in uh, this area today as we've talked about. Strengthen us by your spirit, in Jesus' name we pray.